Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Father, we come to worship you this morning with all of our being. For you have delivered us from this domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of your beloved Son. It is in Jesus, in him, that we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. And we come this morning to willingly submit to him as our Lord. For he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And that it is by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether they're thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things were created through Christ and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. For he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. And to him we give praise, glory, and honor. We pray that that you may send your spirit that we may be fruitful bearers of the kingdom. Open our spiritual eyes and ears this morning, that we may behold and listen to the wonderful words of life that are found in Scripture. Truly, let us be seekers of the kingdom of God as it grows and expands one heart at a time. We pray this in the name of Christ. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to Mark chapter 4. As we continue on with our study in the Gospel of Mark, Parables of the Kingdom, Mark chapter 4, we're looking at verses 21 through 34 today. Dustin took us through the first 20 verses, chapter 4, by explaining the teaching of the four soils. In this parable, Jesus reveals the mystery of how the kingdom grows one heart at a time. We learn that the kingdom can only flourish in the soil that is fertile and receptive to the Word of God. We've come to understand that we cannot make the soil receptive. Only the work of the Spirit can do so. The parable of the soil teaches us that the good news would be rejected by some, or by most people, I should say, and only those whose heart was prepared by God could receive it. Understanding that, we are called to hear, to accept, and to bear fruit. In today's passage, Jesus continues to teach his disciples through parables. Again, as Dustin shared last week, parables are typically analogies that teach a spiritual truth. There are simple stories with a single point, a spiritual truth that is found in ordinary stories, or in other words, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. They can be a proverb, a profound or obscure saying, or an illustrative comparison. Parables were illustrations mainly taken from everyday life that Jesus would use to make a point. They were a way of telling a story that calls for a response on the part of a hearer. So when we read a parables, God, Christ, is asking for a response. The key to understanding the parables lies in discovering the original audience to whom they were spoken. In this case, they were given to those who were expecting the Messiah, the Anointed One, who had come to rescue Israel and set up the glorious kingdom of God Father. With that in mind, I pray that we would behold and be attentive and listen this morning. I pray that you would drive distractions far away from us. 
Lord, I pray that our hearts will be open when we spiritualize. We'll see your word afresh, anew. Lord, I pray that we would yield to the Spirit's work and we would respond to the work that the Spirit has. Lord, be with me as I teach. Bless the study. Bless your word. And Father, I pray that you would let us speak the words that are building up and edify, that encourage, that challenge and rebuke, all that you may be glorified in all that we do. We pray this once again in the name of Christ. Amen. So today we're going to look at four short passages. The first passage is going to be Mark chapter 4, 21 through 25, in which Jesus is teaching that all things will be revealed. Let's look at that if you would. It's in your Bible in verse 21. And Jesus said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden or is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. Verse 23, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Mark now is turning to Jesus' teaching on the kingdom of God. You might remember now, Jesus is originally teaching to those in first century Palestine, the Jews who were looking forward to the kingdom. Mark is writing to those Christians in Rome in which Jesus now has died, he's been resurrected, and now he's ascended to heaven. They too are looking for the kingdom, but yet they are surrounded by the kingdom of Caesar. They are facing persecution during this time, or very close to the persecution that would surround all of that time. They are looking for that kingdom. And so Jesus here is teaching on the kingdom of God. Remember from chapter 1 that Mark records that after John, speaking of John the Baptist, was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. You see, Jesus now is inviting all who hear him to enter in to the kingdom of God. The question you might have is, what is the kingdom of God? Maybe it's the first time you've heard this phrase, or it's just a phrase that we take for granted. Well, the answer, according to one author, is that the kingdom of God is the rule of the eternal sovereign God over all creatures and all things. He writes that the kingdom of God is also the designation for the sphere of salvation entered into at the new birth. He goes on to say that the kingdom of God embraces all created intelligence, both in heaven and earth, that are willingly subject to the Lord and are in fellowship with Him. The kingdom of God is therefore universal in that it includes created angels and men. It is eternal as God is eternal, and it is spiritual found within all born-again believers, all those that have been regenerated by the Spirit. We enter the kingdom of God when we are born again, and we are then part of the kingdom for eternity. It is a relationship that is born of the Spirit found in John chapter 3. And we have confident assurance that it is so, because the Spirit bears witness with our spirits. So the kingdom of God is the willing submission to God in all things of our life. We pray, thy kingdom come. Jesus preached that the kingdom of God is at hand. God is sovereign, omnipotent, omniscient, and the ruler over all of his creation. Amen? 
However, the designation of the kingdom of God also compasses the realm which is subject to God and will be for eternity. The rest of creation will be destroyed. We see that in Peter. We see that in Revelation. Only that which is part of the kingdom of God will remain. Hence, we see the kingdom of God is for those that have submitted to the lordship of Christ. In this passage that we read, Jesus is teaching them that the kingdom may have been hidden at one time. In other words, in the Old Testament, the kingdom of God would be a little bit more of a mystery. To them, they're thinking of an ethnic, national, political kingdom. One in which they will come and again once rule in the house of David. But we see the kingdom of God is much more than that. And it's now being revealed through the ministry and works and teaching of Jesus. Jesus asks a simple question with a logical answer. Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed? Of course not. It's to be put on a stand. It's not to be hidden, but to be put in a place in order to give light so it may reveal what is hidden or what is in darkness. Theologian Walter Wessel writes that the kingdom may have been hidden at one time or a mystery, but it will be made evident as Jesus proclaimed that nothing is hidden except to be made manifest nor is anything secret except to come to light. Though not declared in the Old Testament fully, the light of the kingdom of God is not meant to be hidden forever. And with the advent of Christ, it's going to now be exhibited. Eventually, disciples themselves will be sent out to reveal the kingdom of God through the Great Commission, as you and I are also are given commission to do so. The things God hides or the mysteries of God are to be revealed. We know this even in our own life where Jesus says, even the things that are secret and hidden in our own life one day will be shouted from the housetops. Our lies and our secrets will be revealed. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus likens the kingdom of God as a hidden treasure, one in which you're willing to find it. It's made to be found, not to be hidden forever. In other words, look and you will find the kingdom of God. Seek, he says, and you shall find. Knock, and it will be answered. I love the old hymn, Look and Live. I don't know if you know this. I won't sing it for you. I'll just read just the verse and the chorus. Listen to it. It says, I have a message from the Lord, hallelujah. The message unto you I give. It's recorded in his word, hallelujah. It's only that you look and live. Look and live, my brother live. Look to Jesus now and live. Tis recorded in his word, hallelujah. It is only that you look and live. And so when Jesus says the gospel or the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe, it's the same as look and live. Pay attention, as Dustin said. Behold and be attentive. The kingdom is here. And it's not about eating and drinking, as he tells us in Matthew. But it's within the heart. And so the call to the kingdom is strong in Jesus' message, just as it should be strong in ours today as we invite others to join the kingdom. In verse 24, Jesus encourages them to pay attention. In other words, they have been given spiritual perception, and they are to use it. It's not just what you hear, but how you hear. Let me ask you, do you listen attentively with anticipation? Do you listen with an open heart to receive the things of God? Sadly, in verse 25, He warns them that some will fail to hear. And sadly, there are some that may be here this morning or have been in our services 
before that will not hear the words of Christ. You and I probably all have had times in our lives, whether it's a friend, a family, a loved one, someone close to him, where we share the words of the kingdom, the gospel, the grace of God, only to find them to reject it or not even to hear it. It's a sad news. They will not listen. They will not accept and embrace the good news of the kingdom. In the second passage of Mark chapter 4, verses 26 to 29, he now gives us a mystery of the kingdom. The first is that it is something that's a light. It will, it will bring out all things. 26 to 29, when he says, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and he rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, and he knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade and then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe at once, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. This passage, Jesus once again alludes to the mystery of the kingdom. He uses the simple analogy or principle of a farmer and their inability to cause things to grow or to even understand how things grow. Now, today we may say, well, we know the scientific way in which things grow, but still, we don't truly understand all the principles and the mysteries of God's creation. Yes, the farmer may plant, he may fertilize, he may water, he may nurture, but in the end, it is God that causes all things to grow. We do not cause, we just sow and we reap. It's God that gives the harvest. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. As we look at verses 5, 6, and 7, we'll see this in the life of the believer. You may recall this verse. Paul is talking to the Corinthians and they're saying, listen, they're being bold and they're saying, why well, was led to Christ by Apollos? Why well, was led to Christ by Paul? Why well, was led to Christ by Peter? Or hey, you know, I saw the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And Paul says, what are you doing? There's no bragging rights in the kingdom of God. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 5. He says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? They're just servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigns to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but it's God that gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. We must recognize that there are some things about the kingdom that are still a mystery. How is it that one person hears the word of God and the soil of their heart is receptive and they hear it? And they respond, but then someone else, maybe in the same family, grown up in the same type of environment, they hear the word of God and they reject it. How can that be so? And we've become great salesmen of the kingdom of God in which we feel it's our job to find out how best to make someone's heart fertile for the seed. We think that there must be something that we can do to make people more receptive to the word of God. And we find all these types of marketing strategies and all these types of ways to develop some type of environment, figuring if we can just do it, we can manipulate people and they'll be more likely to make a profession of faith. But the kingdom of God does not rely on human effort for growth. We can't make someone here accept or bear fruit as much as we try. You see, the kingdom of God is more than just 
behavior modification. And I'm afraid we've taken the kingdom of God, salvation, and made it just behavior modification. We've just made it trying to change someone's behavior, make them do this and do that. You may be a product yourself of a, of a Christian home and maybe a Christian school in which you've learned all the ways in which you're to talk and to act and speak and walk and look like a Christian. But in the end, it does nothing about the hearts. And let me share with you, don't try to just modify the behavior of your children. It's not about making them pick up their clothes or eat all their vegetables or to do this and to do that. Those things are important, yes, but in the end, if you make them do all those things, all you have developed is good citizens that follow rules, but yet their heart is full of rebellion. Amen? And so we have people who are professing Christ, who live and look and act like Christians, but yet their heart is far from Christ. Hence, Jesus could say to those who said, wait a second, I cast out demons. I did all these things. I healed. All in your name. Now, does Jesus say, no, you didn't? No, he admits, yes, you did. But yet depart from me, you workers of what? Iniquity. I never knew you. I tell the story in my family. Four boys. Mom was saved, dad wasn't. We all went to a Christian school. We all learned these things. But I continued somewhat on the road. I wasn't a perfect child. And I ran from God and myself, but I had three brothers that went into addictions and all sorts of problems. How does that happen? Now, I can give you friends, this and that, but in the end, it's the heart that we need to get to. So let me tell you, parents, your discipline is not done until you get to the heart of the matter. Your job is not to change your child's behavior, but to pray that God would change their heart. In the same way, when someone comes to me and they're struggling in their marriage or some other things, we can work on behavior modification, but in the end, they need to have a heart for each other. Or it's all just dressing. What did Jesus say of the Pharisees? You're all pretty. You're like whitewashed tombs, but inside you're filled dirty old bones. Yes, we want to change behavior, but it's the Word of God it says that it's active and changes behavior. And we need to do that through the Spirit changing the heart. The kingdom of more is just behavior modification. And let me tell you, I've said a lot about that because that's probably important to me from where I came from. Maybe this is not an issue in your life. But this should give us and bring us comfort. Because I remember the days in which we were sent out. We had to try to get professions of faith. And get people to accept Christ, to say the prayer. We would go so winning. And the thing is, is we would find our ways to combat anything that they would say. We would take classes. And all these things are good and purposeful and needful. But yet our goal in the end was try to get someone to say a prayer. I remember one time when I was younger and I was working, I was married. And me and a friend, we, we did not agree on politics. We did not agree on working conditions. We didn't agree really much on everything, but both of us professed Christ. And him and I would go on different things and we would argue on Christian things and on the Bible and things like that. And one day he said something that was just a punch in the gut. He said, Rob, I think you're more interested in winning an argument than you are about me. Husbands, wives, parents, Christian, need to catch your win again? He silenced me with that. 
Obviously, that was 25, seven years ago. I still remember that 30-second conversation. I remember going into my office and just sitting there and saying, he's right. And we as Christians, sometimes that's what we do. We're grabbing people and saying, listen, listen, listen. Walk this way. Talk this way. Act this way. And we're frustrated because the nation and the politics and the culture isn't like us. Well, they've been like us, but they weren't of us. It's not enough to make them in our mold, but we need to be changing hearts. And that brings comfort in the fact that it's not my job to persuade someone else to enter into the kingdom of God. It's not my job to force someone into the kingdom. It's the Spirit's work. Amen? Now, that does not mean that I wash my hands and say, well, that it's all the Spirit, I won't even do anything. Obviously, no. Scripture tells us to go, to send, to preach, to teach, to witness. We are called to do that. But yet He calls us also to rely on the Spirit's work. And for those of us that have been any type of counseling, we know that. Sometimes you try to force someone in it, it may work for just a little bit, but eventually it all unravels, doesn't it? Because we have to get to the heart. As Jesus says the mystery of the kingdom is we don't know how that heart soil is prepared. Our job is just to sow. So let me give you one last word of encouragement because I spent a lot of time on this. You can see I'm passionate about it. Is if you want to bring someone into the kingdom, if you're concerned about their eternal state, then your job is to sow the word, to share the gospel. But the most important thing you can do is pray for their heart. Pray for their heart. For it's in that heart that the Holy Spirit will do His work, that it may be ready to receive the word and grow down deep and be watered. Some of us may plant, some of us may be watered, but God be the glory, He gives the increase. Amen? So let us be faithful in what God has called us to be faithful. Let us not lose heart when we share the gospel. Let us leave it to Christ. The third passage we want to look at today is Mark chapter 4, verses 30 and 32. And in this, he's going to share the mystery of the growth of the kingdom. Look at verse 30. And he said, with what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of a mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds in the earth. Yet, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nest in its shade. Now the mustard seed is the smallest of all agricultural seeds in Palestine that were known in Jesus' time. It grows to a height of 8 to 12 feet. This image would have been a shock to the Jewish listeners of Jesus' time. For no pious Jew doubted that the kingdom of God would come and that it would be vast and glorious. Israel was expecting that kingdom. And it was to come, though, in apocalyptic power and glory and majesty. To them, it was something that would be overwhelming like a tidal wave. Yet here's Christ is teaching the exact opposite. He said the kingdom of God would actually have small, insignificant beginnings and would slowly grow to maturity. Take your Bibles and turn to Ezekiel in the Old Testament. In Ezekiel 17 we see where the Jewish thinkers would be thinking of. They're thinking of something much greater, much grander, 
when it comes to the kingdom of God. In Ezekiel 17, look at verse 22. He says, Thus saith the Lord God, speaking through the prophet Ezekiel, I myself will take a sprig from the lofty top of a cedar, and I will set it out. Very similar to what we're reading here in Mark. I will break off from the topmost of its young twig, a tender one, and I myself will plant it on the high and lofty mountain. On the mountain heights of Israel will I plant it that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar. And under it I will dwell every kind of bird in the shade of its branches. Birds of every sort it will nest. Very similar to what we're reading. And all the trees of the field shall bow that I am the Lord. I bring low the high tree and make high the low tree. Dry up the green tree and make the dry tree flourish. I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it. However, in this parable in Mark, we see something much different, not something that comes in such power and glory and majesty as what we're seeing here in Ezekiel. But this parable, the tree provides shelter and protection, comfort and rest, the substance and food. In a nutshell, Jesus is teaching that the kingdom of God will grow from a very small beginning, insignificant, and will slowly grow to full maturity and glory over time. And we see this with the early church. If you're someone who's quick with your Bible, you were number one in your sword drill, you can turn to Acts chapter 1. I'm going to go through there very quickly because you'll see that that's exactly how the kingdom of God started. In Acts chapter 1, we see that there's the disciples after Jesus' ascension and they're waiting for the spirits. Jesus said, now wait for the spirit. In Acts chapter 1, verse 15, we see that Peter stood among the brothers that were in that room and there was all in all about 120 people. Only 120 people. Over 500 saw Jesus ascend, but in the beginning here we see the church is about 120 people that are waiting for the Spirit. Chapter 2 of Acts, the first four verses, you see that Peter begins to preach. The Spirit comes and he gives him boldness and he begins to preach the gospel. And then at the end of Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 38, and in verse 41, you see that over three thousand souls were saved that day. The Holy Spirit had been doing the tilling and the work of the hearts and they were ready to receive the word with gladness. They heard it, they accepted it, and they received it and began to bear fruit that day. Three thousand souls in one day. And then if you go down to the end of Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, you see the life of the New Testament church where they're meeting together daily and weekly. They're loving each other. They're caring for each other. They're meeting each other's needs. They're enjoying company together. And it says that the church is growing in favor both with God and with man. Very small beginnings, but it's already in Acts chapter 2 beginning to grow. And as you continue in Acts, you'll see how it begins to grow worldwide through the ministries of the disciples and Apostle Paul. We find in Revelation chapter 7, we see the immense growth of this tree after several millennia. When it says, after this, John says, I looked and behold, and there was a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from every tribe and people and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. From very small beginnings, 
until the end to an innumerable group of people, the kingdom grows, providing shelter for those who are in need. Amen? I pray that you found shelter under that tree. I pray that your children are playing by that trunk, looking forward to that branches, learning about the kingdom, finding that the kingdom of God is eternal life. We need to invite others, come out from that heat, come out from the dryness, come underneath here, there's plenty of room. In the fourth passage, verse 33 and verse 34, Mark now is going to make a change as we see the need of parables. In verse 33, Mark says, With many such parables, Jesus spoke the word to them, as they were able to hear it. And he did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Mark here is now closing with an editorial remark that Jesus spoke to the crowd with parables. Again, it's a reminder that parables are, as Pastor John MacArthur writes, a mystery referring to something previously hidden, but is now revealed in the New Testament. Jesus teaches, I believe, in parables for two main reasons. The first one is because they're effective. And they're effective in four ways. Is one is they make the truth concrete. They're meaningful. You can take something abstract, the kingdom of God, and he's making it concrete. Something that they could say, okay, I kind of get it. I can see, I can make the analogy. I can understand at least that part. He's showing them something that is real. They're effective because they make the truth portable. They're universal. Whether you were in a New Testament farmer in, in Palestine in the first century or here today and you're a white-collar worker here in Orange County in 2015, you can understand it. It's portable. It's universal. You can take it and you can move around. It's also they make truth interesting. They're story-driven. We're driven by those types of things. They're interesting to us. They're effective because they make truth personally discoverable. In other words, they can be understandable with the Spirit's help. It may be a riddle. It may be something that we have to look for, but yet He has given us access to that information. So Jesus teaches in parables because they're very effective in sharing the truths that they need to know. However, in verse 34, we still see that Jesus has to teach His disciples privately because they're still not able to follow. They're still needing that private instruction. For without the Holy Spirit, they're not humanly discernible. For there may be others who may read it and they make all sorts of applications and things, but again, they miss the response that Jesus is looking for in the parables. The second reason I believe Jesus talks in parables is because parables are a judgment on unbelief. Now, we didn't go much detail last week in that passage in Mark. And there was a place where he quoted Isaiah, where it says, they will hear, but they will not listen. You give them ears, and they will not hear. You give them eyes, and they will not see. And what we're seeing here, as you may recall in chapter 3, is that the religious leaders are now looking to destroy Jesus. He's been healing on the Sabbath. They recognize that his teachings are true. They recognize that Jesus can do all these things, but they've accused him of being aligned with Beelzebub, of being possessed by Satan. They've committed what we call the unpardonable sin, and they seek to destroy Jesus at all costs. And what we see here is here's their Messiah, the anointed one has come. They know who he is. 
They know that he fulfills it, but yet they still reject him. That's a judgment. So he speaks in parables as a means of judgment. Look at 1 Corinthians 2.14. says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Jesus calls to speak in a parable to judge those who cannot hear. Whether it was religious leaders of first century or those today, that read God's word, hear God's words, but yet reject it. Parables are a form of judgment to those that do not believe. In the three soils last week, you saw three types of soils that rejected the word of God. Still, the same as today. You see, what we have to understand, that truth is only available to people who believe and are taught by God. Now, that doesn't mean that We're not to be teaching and sharing the Word of God, but we understand that the Spirit works and the Spirit that's blowing. If anything, we should be praying for the hearts of those that we share and praying that the Spirit would blow into their lives. And the rejection of Jesus as the Messiah means the increasing darkness of unbelief. And that's something that you and I need to pray is that those that we love, those that are in our lives, that the darkness of their life does not increase. And that's why we're here this morning. Our vision here is that we're to become lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God. God has called us to seek that kingdom. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Amen? And that's what we're called to do, and we're called to do that as we love God with all our heart, and we love our neighbor as ourselves. And so this morning, the kingdom of God grows one heart at a time. And so it's our responsibility to be that light of the kingdom and and let it shine in the darkness of people's heart. Our goal is to pray that God will send the Spirit to prepare the hearts of those when the Spirit blows. That's our prayer. As we reach up and we reach in and reach out, we need to share the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God will grow, amen? The kingdom of God is a light that will show the darkness, so we must pray that it be lit. We ourselves are lights of that kingdom. The kingdom of God is a mystery. It grows in such a way that we don't understand, but we trust that it will. Let me ask you today, if you're here and you're a professing Christian, seek the kingdom of God. Share the kingdom of God. As Jesus said, repent and believe, for the kingdom of God is at hand. If you're here this morning, and you've not yet entered the kingdom of God, would you do so today? Is the Spirit blowing? Do you hear the words of Christ that say, look and live, taste and see that God is good? So we invite you to join the kingdom of God, for it's open to all those that the Spirit draws to them. And we would invite you in this morning. Lord, we just thank you for the kingdom of God. Lord, it is powerful. It will grow in majesty and glory. And I thank you for all of us, Lord, who proclaim you that you've embraced us, that you brought us into your family, and that the kingdom of God is now resides within our hearts and we are members of it. We thank you for the salvation that it offers. Lord, for the hope that is there for those who would grasp it, for the shelter and the protection that's underneath its limbs. Now, Father, I pray that we would go forth And that we too will be faithful sowers of the word, knowing that your kingdom would grow. 
and rejoice how you're doing so in our community and in the lives of those that we love. And I pray that your spirit would have free reign and will strengthen and empower us to share that kingdom. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.